Thank you for doing that. Olivia, would you put up that slide from Trust and Obey for us, please? It's the one that started with Sweet Fellowship or Fellowship Suite. Okay, welcome to those of you who are online and just joining us now for the continuation, the second part of our worship service. Uh, rather than leading us through call to worship and, and God's greeting, that kind of thing, um, I'd like to lead us through a prayer exercise, which is different than just simply a congregational prayer. So, And, and this uh, lyric uh, is actually going to lead us into it. Um, we sang this just a few minutes ago, so those of you who are online can't, can't see this, but this um, Joel Ratz pulled out uh, an oldie today, didn't he? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And so this is one of the... The lyrics, it says, then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet. Let, could we put some more contemporary language around what fellowship is? What, what's a synonym for fellowship since um, nobody outside of a church uses this word anymore? What's fellowship? Two fellows in one ship. <laughs> when you ask a silly question. <laughs> Um, what I, I heard conversation, relationship, hospitality, connection, friendship, right? This is what we're after in friendship, in sweet friendship. This friendship is sweet, like, like it's good, really good. And so what I would invite you to do, close your eyes. Between you and God, now say, Lord Jesus, I take you at your word that I am invited into friendship. Your word says you call us friends. Would you take me to a place where I can have friendship with you right now? I want you to see him there in that space. Ask him to do that for you if that's not currently happening. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to declare a whole bunch of scriptures over us. The difference between declaring and claiming a scripture versus reading it is crucial for you. Reading scripture can just be for information. This is like, no, I claim you and I, I claim this. I take you at your word. Lord Jesus, this is mine now as of this moment because you are trustworthy. All of these scriptures are about life. Sit with him as you hear his words. In him was life, and that life was the light of humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Jesus said to a woman, everyone who drinks water from this well we're standing beside will be thirsty again. But anyone who drinks from the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give 
will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Let's claim eternal life this morning. Jesus says it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Lord, would you shine your light of life in this room right now? Into any dark places that came with us. Anything that would want to interfere. We speak the light of life over this place in Jesus' name. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friends, you have abundant life on offer. More than you even need is accessible to you through the Spirit because of Jesus. Death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Death will be swallowed up by life, the scriptures say. Because we serve the living God. Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We receive life through Christ. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or his belly will flow rivers of living water. And he spoke this about the Holy Spirit. Therefore, be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5. Be filled now with the Spirit. And may that be a continuous thing through this time, Lord, as we see Jesus. And meet with him. And you receive your ongoing and increasing life. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Continue to see Jesus now. As I redo this last one. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace, Romans 8, 6. If you're seeing Jesus at the moment, ask him to speak.
what would you like to say to me, Lord? Lord, you say that your words are spirit and they are life. As we claim your words, would you give us life from you? As we return now to your word, would you, would you take it and place it specifically in the areas in our life and in our heart right now? in our hearts where we need it most, where we need you to breathe fresh life into us by your spirit. Would you illumine our minds so that we understand what was previously dark to us? Would you warm our hearts so that what was previously cold to us now brings us alive. Would you always make sure that our time in the scriptures is a time of fellowship in the proper sense of friendship with you? It's not university. It's friendship. So for the sake of friendship, Lord, would you have your way here this morning so that we leave from this place going out not the least bit interested in more religious rituals or religious practices, but we love Jesus more. And your spirit is more active than ever in our lives. And we therefore, through a, a life that looks like Christ, glorify the Father. Have your way through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Ron Plett came up to me right before the, the service began, and he said, um, what, what word in the English language uh, is there that when you add two letters to it, it becomes shorter? And I'm telling you, the word was not sermon. Sorry. What is the one word in the English language, when you add two letters to it, it becomes shorter? Short. See, many of you got it, and I did not. So unless he told you, well done, and thank you, Ron. This is a passage that I'm about to read that is longer, and it's going to seem long because it's going to seem probably somewhat opaque. Um, as we go through uh, Galatians, he gets it, Paul gets into some difficult arguments. Um, and he has a reason for it. So what I'm going to do is just read it in one shot, and then I'm going to walk us quickly through it, and then I will get to, if that seemed really difficult for you, here's where it lands. And, and if we will land at a place that is much more comprehensible and less opaque, I hope. Um, I will take some responsibility if it's still opaque at the end, but we also are trusting that the Lord works through this stuff. Um, when I was... Uh, um, younger and more naive, um, 
someone uh, asked me what I, I now realize may well have been a rhetorical question to get me to think uh, and come to a different answer than the one that I gave. But nevertheless, I was uh, young and naive. And they, they asked me what, what would actually um, a path of spiritual maturity look like? And my answer was, well, and I, I had just come out of Bible college. I was, well, I was actually probably in my first year of Bible college. And I, so I'm just sort of in awe of all of these people who have all of the answers. And they have the answers because they've gone to extra schooling and they've spent more time in the Word than I have. And they know Greek, the language of the New Testament. And so my answer in my, my, my own immaturity was, well, I think eventually you have to learn Greek because you, you want to get to know the book as well as you possibly can. And that reflects me and my own mistakes at the time, and it's kind of probably sounds really silly to your ears. But nonetheless, that's not that far off the problem that the Apostle Paul is addressing currently uh, as we continue to move through the book of Galatians, where some people have been captivated by others who know more than they do because they've had Jewish scriptures for longer than these people have. And they're saying, we need to get back to the book and then follow the laws that are in that book, all of those religious practices, because that is the path to spiritual maturity. And Paul is going to say, no, it isn't. And, and here it is, and it's actually much more simple and accessible to everyone. Um, someone said to me this week, I was in the room, but I'm not going to pointed out uh, who it was. They said to me, man, your last message was a lot like your message before that. (laughs) Like you're kind of repeating yourself, Ben. Yes, I am. So this is going to sound very familiar if you've been here recently. My defense is Paul continues to repeat himself as we go through, and he's going to continue for the next couple of chapters. So we're, it's almost like a diamond that you're going to see from like just various facets. You're going to look at this from different angles because he wants to make sure he, he knows and God knows that it is one of uh, the basic temptations of humanity to default to rules and religious practices and, and simpler th- um, or actually more complex things than trust and obey for there's no other way, uh, like actually step out in faith and, and walk by this spirit, which is going to be Paul's answer. He knows that we, we default to rules. We, we default to religious practices. And he's going to say, if you put your trust in that, like we talked about last week, you're going to be under a curse. Okay? It, it's trust and obey, but there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. It, it, it's about life in Christ. It, it, it is not about making sure you check every box and obey every rule as though that earns you salvation. As though it is that that puts a smile on God's face and says, welcome my, my daughter, welcome my son. With you, I'm well pleased. No. Sonship and daughtership is not earned by the way that we check all of the boxes. God does not like you more because you are better at the religious stuff. Okay. Let's get into a passage that's really difficult. I'm letting you know ahead of time this is really difficult. I'm just going to read it in one shot, and then I'm going to walk you through it. And if you have the text in front of you, I hope you have the text in front of you, scroll through it on your phone, biblegateway.com, Galatians chapter 3, 
or a hard copy in front of you, you're going to want to see it. Okay. You're going to want to see it because you're, it's your job to hold me accountable. And I've said that here many times. I think it's been a while though, since I have said it, your job is to hold me accountable, just like my job is to hold you accountable. A, a sermon is the next word in an ongoing conversation. It is not the final word. Okay. And I too see through a glass darkly, right? And you see things I don't. Okay. Galatians chapter three. We're going to begin uh, where we ended at verse 14 last week. He, speaking of God or Jesus, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Gentiles is everyone who is not Jewish. That's us, right? The blessing of Abraham might come through Christ Jesus so that by faith, we talked about this last week, by simply trusting, that's all faith is, just trusting, trusting God, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Remember, what he says, as we talked about last week, is that the promise of blessing given to Abraham, the ultimate fulfillment of the blessing given to Abraham, isn't Jesus. It is what Jesus gives the people, which is his Spirit. Look at it. It's right here in the text. Hold me accountable to it. I'm holding you accountable to it. The blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive Jesus and have him in my heart. Is that what it says? So that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That's Paul's argument. It's going to be absolutely crucial for this chapter and the next. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises that were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, uh, the promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed, excuse me. Scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. And what I mean is this. So he's going to argue now, Abraham got a promise. The law, this, all of those scriptural regulations, how to be Jewish properly, came hundreds of years after Abraham. That's what he's about to say next. Right? The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant with Abraham previously established by God and thus do away with the promise given to Abraham. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? The law was added because of transgressions, until the seed to whom the promise referred to has come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come through the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who trust, who believe. 
Before the coming of faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith that was to come could be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time had been fully come, or when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship or daughtership. Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit. Uh, the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit, it's the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, even when it seems like a long and difficult argument. Okay, let me walk you through it really quickly. What's the promise to Abraham? I'm hearing whispers, which indicates um, it's a tentative answer, which we're throwing out very silently, almost silently, because we're not entirely sure. The blessing to Abraham is in verse 14. What is it? The spirit. That is the ultimate and end goal for God's people. That they receive the blessing of Abraham which is his spirit. Which is interesting because Paul's argument is going to be Abraham received a blessing and was promised a blessing and he got it not by following a law. That's the argument here. Abraham got a blessing and received it by faith. Right? We talked about that last week. And this is what Paul is going to continue to emphasize over and over again in Galatians, that you get blessed by God not by following a law, not by your your adherence to religious principles. You get the blessing of God up front. front, God front-end loads blessing. He front-end loads himself as the ultimate fulfillment of everything he was aiming for for humanity. This is how generous God is to us. He gives us himself without our needing to earn it at all. Because I'm hooped if I have to keep all of these rules in order to get God. It will never, ever happen. It is by grace you have been saved. And it is by grace that you continue to work out that salvation. Absolutely crucial. So verse 18 is what says, if, if the inheritance could have come based on law, 
then it's not based on a promise. But God didn't give it to Abraham on the basis of a law. He gave it to Abraham by means of a promise, which he received by faith. So he'll say in verses 16 to 18, the law didn't change anything. The law came much later, but it was always to be received based on faith. Which raises the question for his audience and for us as has come up in numerous weeks. What then is the purpose of all of the rules? What is the purpose of scripture? What is the purpose of these religious practices? God put them together. He took a lot of time to write it down in this book. Right? What is the purpose of all of the religious routines and exercises? There are, there are two responses to that. One we'll get to later. The main one Paul is going to get to now is these were merely preparation for Christ. They were preparation for Christ. And he's going to describe them as a tutor. Look at verse 24. Um, a tutor or a guardian. So picture like a, a super rich family. Super, super wealthy, wealthy, like not just people who would put their kids in private school, but people that would hire the private school for their kids, that kind of thing, like that level of wealth, right? And they hire people who have like PhDs and whatever to come and tutor their kids, but not just tutor them in a subject, but like have them live with them. So it's like you have the best of the expertise of humanity coming together to look after children that they might have the best possible upbringing and education and so on, so that as they grow up, they grow up with the best of the best as preparation for becoming adults. That's what Paul says was the role of scripture. The role of scripture was this guardian to sort of teach people the way that they should go and, and give them the best possible understanding of who God is and so on. But it was never given in order to make them righteous, in order to make them mature. Um, it, it, the, the righteousness and the maturity comes through Christ and the Spirit, Paul will say. And it was the law that prepared us for that. That's his argument. Does that follow? I know it's a, it's a strange way of thinking, but this is the argument that he has. The purpose of the law was never to make people righteous. And that's what he says explicitly. Scripture, verse 22, Scripture confined everyone under sin. In other words, Scripture was what pointed out this is in fact a sin. And when you point out that this is in fact a sin, we now become guilty as measured against the law. It, 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 was, it was pointing out something that it did not have the means to answer. It pointed out a problem, but it could not point out the solution to that problem, which is why he will say, um, verse, what is it? 21, I think it is. For if a law had been given that was able to impart life, then righteousness would have been based on the law. But it, but it wasn't. That's his point. With, no one gets to be righteous by keeping the law, because as we discussed last week, as soon as you break one law, you've broken the law. You've broken all of it, he'll say, and now you're under a curse. So we're all under a curse. And then he goes on to say, 
but Christ redeemed us from that curse. The purpose of the law, the purpose of, of what he had written down was to prepare us for Christ who would give the spirit by means of faith, not by following religious expectations. You get the gift, the blessing that God has for you by faith, trusting in Jesus, not by following all of the religion. So he'll say in verses 26 to 29 that Christ has come. And now that Christ has come, we have grown up and we have, it, we have received Christ by faith. He's going to say in verses 26 to 29 that we have now come to a point where we're now heirs. In other words, you're not, you're not fully an heir until you come to the age at which you can legally inherit something. It may all be yours by virtue of the fact that you are a child of God, but it, it's not yet accessible to you. And so what he's saying to these people is it's now accessible to us because you have received the spirit. You, because of Christ coming, maturity has now come through that. And what you receive is the spirit himself. And so that's why he is going to go on and talk about being an heir. H-E-I-R. Heir. Do you remember how at the beginning of this series, what I pointed out was that if you understand, if you go through Galatians and you find what inheritance is all about, the book will unfold for you. Remember I said that a couple of times. The entire book is about the inheritance. What's the inheritance? The inheritance is the spirit. And how do you get the spirit? You get the spirit by faith, by trusting in what Jesus has done. And if you trust in what Jesus has done, you get it all. It makes you a child of God. You become an heir. You are incorporated into a family. You are incorporated into a family in which you have now inherited something. And what you have not just inherited, what you have inherited is not just something. What you have inherited is someone. You get nothing less than God himself. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing God has. It is all mine. All of it. It's all yours. as I've been saying repeatedly, what this means is that it's not your religious practices. Growing up in Christ is not about learning Greek or attending church weekly. And if you're really spiritual, Sunday nights as well. You might be really spiritual. No one's here on Sunday night, but actually there might be a recovery group, but that's uh, something else. Um, it is not about religious hoops to jump through. And yet we default to that so much, don't we? We pat ourselves on the back because we got out of bed and came to church on the Sunday morning. And we subtly look down our noses on those who, ah, didn't make it this week. I see their regular spots empty. Or we drive by those who are going to, you know, 
going jogging or something like that. I always see that Sunday morning and I don't. Anyway, I'm not going down that road. Um, we default to this all of the time. And Paul says, don't go that way. God says, don't go that way. It is not about jumping through religious hoops. The inheritance is a person. Spiritual maturity is getting to know that person, trust and obey. Right? Jesus, and you might say, well, obey, that's religion. No, it's not. Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to do what I said. If you, it's an expression of the relationship that I adore this person who is Jesus so much, I will do anything he says because I want more of him, because I want that friendship to increase. I don't want to put a barrier between me and my friend. That's the other part of the law. That both Old Testament and New Testament was always an expression of living out a a response of gratitude to who he is. He shared himself with me. I didn't get, I didn't earn that in any way. The God of the universe looked at me and smiled. And for the rest of my life, what I will do is offer him smiles in thought, word, and deed as expressions that where I say, thank you, Jesus. I love you. It's not about keeping the rules. That's a childish, child like literally Galatians would say childish way of viewing scripture. It's a childish way of viewing our Christian lives where we think I had better avoid this at all costs so that I can please God. No, no, no. I avoid all those things or maybe not so I should please God because that's, we do want to please God. Um, but so that God will be happy with me, to earn his favor. You don't earn favor. We are leaning further into relationship with Jesus. So trust, you can faithfully sing, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Because it's about Jesus. Spiritual maturity is about walking in our inheritance because it is the spirit who teaches us and guides us in any given moment how it is that we can best respond to our friend Jesus. Spiritual maturity is not learning Greek. Spiritual maturity is learning the spirit. And by that, I don't mean the like literally 600-page book on, on the Spirit that I have in my office right now. I don't mean that. I, I mean learning a sensitivity to him so that as he goes this direction, so do I. Right? Remember last week we talked about how um, Scripture sets the boundaries in which we, we play, which we operate? But there's a lot of movement within those boundaries. And where does God want you at any given time? We have to learn to walk by the Spirit for that. And that takes time. It takes risk sometimes. Um, 
That's my daughter singing ABCs, by the way. Okay, this is a weird story. But it's an example of what I'm actually talking about. So I, I've been trying to practice this, right? Like, I'm not just giving you theory. I'm trying to practice this. And so there's one time where uh, a number of months ago, maybe it was Christmas. I think it was Christmas time. I had dropped off Chantel and the kids at the airport in Leduc. And Leduc's not that far from Sherwood Park. So I thought I would go visit Chris Zeller um, up at Sherwood Park. He's at his new Central Baptist location there in Sherwood Park. There's a snowstorm happening. Their, their plane got up just fine. Um, but uh, I was driving through snow to get there, and it just kept snowing and snowing and snowing. So by the time that we wrapped up our, our time together, uh, I got back on the Anthony Hende um, from Sherwood Park to get back to Highway 2 to come south back to Red Deer. And um, there's an accident somewhere miles ahead on the Anthony Hende between me and Highway 2. And so traffic is at a standstill. And so I take the, the first available exit. You know, I'm not from around here, right? Like I, I know a few main roads, like some of you tell me where you guys are from. And I'm like, where's that? Like Vulcan or something like, I heard there's a Vulcan, Alberta, like weird. Anyway. Um, so I don't know my way around. Um, and, and I'm, I'm Sherwood park is brand new to me. This is my first time being in Sherwood park. Um, I have a rough understanding that there's Sherwood Park. Leduc is somewhere that way. And I'm like, I don't know how to get to Highway 2 because I pull off this, this exit. I'm on some random road. But I've been practicing. I've been trying to practice listen, listening to God. And so what I, I do is I say, okay, Lord, like I've got hours to kill here. Why don't we practice? I could pull out my phone and you could direct me. Like I could, I don't need your directions, but like, let's actually practice this. Let's try it. I had hours to kill, right? I'm not necessarily recommending you do this, but I, I, I spent time listening and driving and I made a whole bunch of wrong turns, but I listened enough that I got to where I wanted to go. And it was a, it was just an opportunity to step out and say, Here's a chance to, to let God sort of teach me how to listen a little bit. I shared with you about picking up cigarette butts, right? And that was another example of an opportunity where it's like, okay, Lord, where do you want me to look next? And you know what? I had a few misses, but I had a whole lot of hits. And it's not just because we have a ton of people addicted to tobacco in the area. Like there, it was about just practicing in really, really simple ways. Well, is that the voice of the Lord? Is that, you know what? I, my, I, my eyes are going in this particular direction. Is there something you actually want to point out right here? Like if you start doing this kind of thing, like I know it sounds silly, but like this is, this is about as basic on-ramp as you can get where you just say, I'm going to take some opportunities. You're going to go into a store brand new to you. I've done this. I've had a whole bunch of really cool experiences where I say, I don't know where I'm going to go in this store, where I need Dollarama. I was looking for um, candles for our Christmas Eve service. It was two hours to the Christmas Eve service. And I thought, I could have got candles for the kids, those little battery operated ones. We chucked the other ones but, um, before. We didn't have enough here. I wanted to have some for the kids. And I hear aisle, I don't know, aisle six, left-hand side. 
So I go in. I can't. I can never find anything in Dollarama, but there was aisle six, and there it was on the left hand side. I've had lots of misses like that too. Lord, where is this in my house right now? And I, I've searched the basement. I've searched here. Like I thought he was saying this, and he wasn't. But it. You can't get more practical than that. If you want to learn to walk in the spirit, do really basic things like have a conversation with God about where to go or how to find something or how to do something or why is this person on my mind or you know, basic stuff like that. And you will develop over time a sensitivity to his voice. To what he's saying. And it's fun. Like, it, it's fun. And you know what? God's not sitting there going, that's a really weird question. Um, aisle six. No. You're like, oh, my kid's talking to me. That's great. I'm so glad that we can go shopping together. Like, that's God's disposition. God's disposition towards you is not passive and mild indifference. This is the God who has decided that the fullest blessing that you could possibly have for your life is more of him. It's about sweet fellowship. Whether it's shopping or whether it's your morning devotions or your church time or or something more religious, or not. He, he wants into all of our lives. Lord, I'm baking right now, and I am missing the measuring cup I need. Help. Something as simple as that. Why not? If you start doing that over and over and over again throughout your day, you will be surprised at the things you begin to hear, the places that he takes you. Make that extra bit of conversation with the person in the the checkout line. Give that person a $5 tip on your coffee. You will bless them. When you start to hear those kinds of things, you go, that's probably not me because I'm not that generous. Because that's like a 200% tip, right? And I'm cheap or something like that, right? So it's like you you start to develop this Oh, I'm starting to recognize that, that that couldn't have been me because I'm not, I'm not like that. That was probably from God because it was so out of the blue. You know, you can develop this sensitivity. I probably labored that point enough. On ramps. Besides the one I just gave, which was impromptu. Um, this is a book called River Dwellers. It's by the author of, you remember many of you joined us for the Soul Care, Soul Care course last year. Um, it's an Alliance pastor and professor by the name of Rob Reamer. Most people think it's Reimer. I do believe it's Reamer. But anyway, this is a book just on... River dwellers living in the fullness of the spirit. I passed it out to our council members recently, actually. Um, it's just about learning, learning the life of how the spirit moves. What are the things that he does? How do you learn to develop 
and tune into the voice of God. I'd highly encourage you to read it. Thursday nights, I continue to say, we continue to practice listening to the voice of God. And learning to listen, um, as much as I've encouraged you to practice it, it is also caught as much as it is taught. And the more that you spend time with other people who are a little bit ahead of you in terms of tuning in to the voice of God, whether it's, um, and when I say the voice of God, I don't just mean words, right? Some people primarily receive it through pictures. Sometimes people primarily receive it through feelings, right? Jeremiah says, Jeremiah is a prophet, and he says, um, uh, there is a fire burning within me, and woe to me if I do not speak, right? The Lord has given him something, but he didn't drop it as words. He dropped it as a feeling. Um, so anyway, it, it's, those kinds of things are caught as well as taught. And I can teach you some of it from here. You can learn more of it in smaller groups, um, one-on-one conversations, but most, uh, the best is simply to be around people as they're actually doing it. And then talk to them about, like actually sit down with them and be like, so you shared that picture. What was that actually like for you? Like, what did, how did you know this was God? How did, you know, and, and you start to just say, I want to receive in that way too. Teach me your ways. Watch Jesus. I I don't mean read your Bible. I mean like watch Jesus. For example, Jesus says, um, I can do nothing on my own. I can only do what I see the Father doing. Right? Jesus only does whatever he sees the father doing or whatever he hears him saying, right? So every episode, as you read scripture, you need to read with the lens of Jesus, whatever he is currently doing is only doing that because he is paying attention at the moment to what the father is saying and doing. And that's, that is our example, right? God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Acts 10.38. Jesus does what he does because he has the same thing we have. The Holy Spirit and the presence of God. Therefore, he is our example. So, uh, Centurion comes up to Jesus and says, I'd like you to, uh, uh, my servant is sick. And Jesus responds, he doesn't invite him. The centurion says, my servant is sick. Jesus' response to him is, okay, I will come. Jesus saw and heard that that was what the father wanted. Go with him, Jesus. What happens? The centurion, however, objects, says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my house, just say the word. Jesus changes his game plan. Okay, I will go with you, suddenly becomes, I've never seen this type of faith. This type of faith has opened up a new opportunity for healing. Go now, your servant is healed. Let it be done for you according to your faith. That's walking in the spirit. Do you see the level of sensitivity there that Jesus demonstrates? 
the plan was, I will come to your house. But Jesus stayed tuned into what God was saying so that when the centurion objects, Jesus goes, oh God, I see now that you're going to do something new and different here. What's new and different is you're going to heal from a distance because of this man's faith. That's sensitivity to the spirit. And you can learn to develop that too. I want to learn to develop that too. So that when things change in the moment, I can check in with God and go, oh, I, th- I was pretty sure you were saying to do this, but now I see you want to, and off we go. You have that opportunity, friends. Jesus is our example. He's not just our moral example. He is our example in every possible way. I wasn't kidding when I said it wasn't going to be a short sermon. Okay. I'd like to give you a moment to listen. Okay. So would you, would you take a moment, would you close your eyes and simply ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want to say to me now about what we have been talking about? And then we'll close in a minute. Let me close with two things. God is already pleased with you. And all of this is yours. You have been adopted. We'll get into that more next week. You have been adopted into his family. So all of this is yours. Let's pray. Lord, I think of that verse that says, um, will he not, along with Christ, also give us all things? He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We sang that scripture, all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. I claim that scripture that those who search for me will find me when they search for me with all of their hearts. And yet here we are, Lord. We are here simply to, to pause and, and then remain in the, the fact that we are Jesus' friends and we are people who have been adopted into your family and therefore have the inheritance. And we receive that not by jumping through religious hoops, but by trusting Jesus. That therefore, we can live as Jesus lived, keeping in step with the Spirit. So Lord, would would you do that very thing in us? So that the goal of our lives is simply 
more of you and more living like you the way that you lived. May you anoint us with the Holy Spirit and with power in order that we may go about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil because you are with us. Lord, would you make us people who are river dwellers, who live, who live out of the abundance of the, the life that you pour into us by your spirit. Lord, would you give us such um, a level of attention to your, your voice because you say that the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The stuff that you do on your own, the flesh, that counts for nothing. So Lord, we, we sit here in this moment and we say thank you that you speak your life into us. Apart from the way that we lived this week. It's by grace that we are saved. It's not something we did. It's through faith. Not by works, so no one may boast. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We're going to sing to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. May the blessing of God Almighty and Abraham be on you. The blessing of God Almighty, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with you. The blessing of Abraham, Spirit, through Christ, by faith, the glory of God the Father. Receive him and be at peace. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for being here.